Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. You know, Dan, Freedom's Ring is a nonpartisan program. We don't favor one party or the other, one candidate or the other, in keeping with the longstanding tradition of you know, religion doing religion and politics being something else. But as you know, we've been Freedom's Ring for over 15 years doing religious liberty, and it's been very disturbing in this presidential cycle to see religious liberty becoming a politically partisan issue. And I think it's, it does not bode well for religious liberty overall. And I'm happy to welcome to Freedom's Ring for a discussion about this subject, journalist Rob Boston, communication director for Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Rob, a pleasure to have you on Freedom's Ring today. Thank you for having me on. I'm glad to be with you. You know, I know that as a communications director, you've been following how religious liberty issues play out in the presidential campaign cycle. Um, Can you give us some examples of just how partisan this issue has become? Yes, it's discouraging because religious liberty is obviously an extremely important issue to Americans, as it should be. The right of conscience, the right to believe or not believe as guided by conscience, the right to change your mind, the right to worship with a community of like-minded believers. I mean, all those things we take for granted, but there are people in other parts of the world who would love to have those freedoms and those rights. And in this particular election cycle, I think what's happening is religious liberty is being used as an excuse by some people who don't want to do certain things or who want to be exempt from following laws that everybody's expected to follow. And they're using religious liberty. I think it's a distortion of the principle of religious liberty. They're basing their argument on that, but it's not really religious liberty. So it, it's really distorting that great principle and turning it into a partisan political tool. Well, but even more than, say, you know, the battle over Kim Davis and, and what the Kentucky clerks are, you know, uh, one county is going to do with marriage licenses. Uh, it's how the candidates have all jumped on the bandwagon. And now it's like, okay, religious liberty is now a Republican issue, and so Democrats don't believe in religious liberty. And it's it seems like, well, one party is trying to campaign, um, and, out, and every candidate trying to outdo themselves showing their support for religious liberty. Right. Well, that's, that's something that has been uh, playing out a lot in this election cycle, I think that it's more prominent this year, but we've seen versions of it in years past. Uh, For a number of years, the Republican Party has been, I think, unduly influenced by extremely conservative religious activists who tend to be fundamentalists of various types. And they've really raised these what, what are called culture war issues to a very high level because they are of concern to them. And they will use them to attack uh, political opponents, in this case, Democrats. So you get religious liberty being used as a, a kind of a club to one candidate to, to beat another with. And again, I think that is uh, unfortunate because it's an important principle that all Americans, regardless of what your political affiliation may be, should be able to rally around. Well, and, you know, when I think about the need 
occasionally to pass laws to protect religious freedom, you can't do that with only one political party. There has to be some kind of consensus. And if religious liberty becomes um, only the kind of the possession of the Republicans, then the prospects for any sort of agreement about religious liberty goes out the window. Well, exactly right about that. And if you look back at, at, in history and see some of the examples of legislation that have been passed in this area, they have always been bipartisan. Uh, you bring both parties to the table, because you are correct. If it becomes just one party that's promoting legislation, first of all, it's, it's probably not going to be uh, truly broadly based legislation. It's, it's more likely to reflect merely the beliefs or tenets of that one party. And you won't be able to have a, a consensus there that brings everybody together. It'll become a very divisive thing. So that's a very important point that you bring up. If this becomes tied to one party, nothing is going to get done. Well, and I'm glad, you know, you bring up some of this past legislation. Um, seems to me that the uh, the one shining example, Exhibit A here, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, you had two of the most prominent Senate sponsors from either party, right? Wasn't that Ted Kennedy and Orrin Hatch teaming up on that bill? Yes, that's right. You know, think about... Uh, I challenge our conservative listeners to think about Ted Kennedy as the champion of religious freedom. That's not exactly the way you think of the liberal Democrats, typically. Um, but There are other examples of that. For instance, um, some of the problems we've been having in this country lately deal with religious minorities who are having a little bit of difficulty establishing their rights. And that's not a new thing either. The, the pattern in this country has been that religious minority groups have had to struggle a little bit and have had to fight a little bit to gain the measure of rights that they deserve under our Constitution. And in the past, those efforts on behalf of those religious minority groups have been championed equally, I think, by liberals and conservatives and, of course, folks in the middle. Uh, and I would like to see that pattern continue. Unfortunately, uh, we're seeing a little bit of a breakdown in that consensus, and sometimes religious minority rights, again, are used as a partisan issue in an election, which is very unfortunate. Well, and I think the prime example of what you're talking about, Rob, here we are recording just days after the terrorist attacks in Paris, and we're seeing, you know, predictably a lot of anti-Muslim sentiment about not allowing Muslim refugees into our country. Um, but I'm not sure how, if Americans perceive how hypocritical and counterproductive this kind of outrage really is. Yes, you're exactly right. And one of the things that's really distressed me over the years is I never really thought I would live to see the day where people in America tried to stop members of a faith community from actually constructing a house of worship. I mean, that's basic, that religious organizations in this country, provided that you know they're following all the relevant local zoning laws and all that kind of thing, if they're doing that, they have the right to erect a house of worship, a temple, a church, a synagogue, a mosque, whatever it's called for them. They have the right to do that. But we have seen in this country some examples where people... Many examples. Yes. And, and actually, what used to happen in those cases was individuals of goodwill would stand up, both liberals and conservatives, Republicans and Democrats, and would say, this is not acceptable in the United States. We have religious liberty. But now there are too many people, I think, unfortunately, too many from a very conservative wing who not only are not standing up, they're supporting 
the people that are trying to shut down the erection of these houses of worship. And, and that is just, uh, it's an affront to the First Amendment values that we all should hold dear. Well, you know, I think of two things. Again, another piece of legislation passed with strong bipartisan support specifically to protect religious land use, among other things, back in 2000. Um, Do you remember who the sponsors of that bill were? Well, I don't remember the names exactly, but again, that was certainly a bipartisan measure. Well, and the other thing that your comments bring to my mind, Rob, is that for too many Americans— Religious freedom means the freedom to believe as I do. It doesn't mean freedom for somebody else. Yes. Now, here's an important historical point. I think in this country, we really need to get back to the spirit of Roger Williams. As you know, Roger Williams, colonial-era pastor, who advocated strongly for religious freedom and the right of conscience for everybody, including the people that he thought was wrong. Uh, Williams, as you may remember from your history, didn't like the Quakers personally. He, thought he hated the Quakers. He hated the Quakers. He hated He really did. He really thought their worship was crazy, their beliefs were strange, but he advocated strongly for their rights to worship and to be doing that unmolested. Uh, some years after that, John Leland, you know, the fiery Baptist cleric from New England and friend of Thomas Jefferson, although he was a strong Baptist himself and felt very uh, convinced that that was the way to go, he advocated for the right of people to believe other things or believe nothing at all. Uh, and, and that's the spirit we need to get back to. You need to understand that your religious liberty and your ability to practice, worship, pray, read a religious book, that's not affected by what the guy across the street is doing or the person down the street is doing. They're going to another house of worship reading a different religious book. You may disagree with it, but it's their right, and it doesn't affect your ability to spread your message. You know, there is, a, I think, a growing fear among many religious conservatives, a fear of persecution. And myself, as a Seventh-day Adventist, uh, we read Bible prophecy to suggest that there will be a final period of rather intense persecution before the return of Christ. So when we see a religious group being singled out for hostility simply because of their religious identity, it reminds us of that spirit uh, that will continue to target other groups that are thought to be undesirable. That's an important point, and of course, what we have to remember is what real persecution looks like. We have examples of that in the world we can look at today. In many, many examples. examples. Yes, in North Korea, in Saudi Arabia, where it's not even legal to open a Christian church, and, and some African nations where there's tension and conflict between Muslims and Christians to the point where people have been killed. I mean, we, we can see these examples. That's real persecution. And I get frustrated when I hear somebody complaining that they didn't see or hear Merry Christmas in a grocery store so they're feeling persecuted. That's trivial. There are people out there really experiencing this every day to the point where they're putting their lives on the line because of their religious beliefs. You want to know about persecution, talk to some of those folks. Well, and here at Freedom's Ring, our longtime listeners know we cover those stories. We talk about what's happening in some of these countries, and, and I hope that we begin to gain a new appreciation for why we have the institutional separation of church and state, because in countries that don't have it, uh, what do they have instead? Persecution. You're right. They either have persecution and nightmarish theocracies, or in some of the Western societies that have established churches, they have a devitalized religious community where a very tiny percentage of the population even goes to houses of worship anymore because of the long historic tie with the state draining those churches of their vitality. So that partnership 
uh, of church and state. It does religion no favors at all in the long run. Well, ultimately, the partnership between church and state is the gravest threat there is to religious freedom, because a single uh, dominant religious viewpoint gets favored status, and everyone else are, uh, you know, they're subordinate. Yes, exactly. And sometimes, you know, people speak of toleration. Toleration is the first step. John Leland, who I mentioned earlier, talked about toleration, but said he was advocating for something beyond toleration. Uh, to be tolerated is nice, but it's not enough. What the state needs to do is have a, an approach of neutrality that doesn't have a favorite religion, doesn't have a favorite religious expression or mode of worship, and simply says, we're neutral on questions of theology as a government. But what you do as private citizens, how you express your worship, your ability to go out in the public spaces and, and try to convert people and spread your views, that's your business. And you have the right to do that. But we as a state, we're neutral on these questions. And neutral, I should point out, neutrality is not hostility. There's a great confusion in the public mind about that. Hostility are the things we've talked about earlier, knocking down churches, arresting people for worshiping, arresting pastors, putting them in jail. That's hostility. Neutrality simply says, we as a state have no opinion, and you're free to spread your view as you see fit. Well, and increasingly, if you think about it, um, I mean, judges certainly understand that they're not competent to make religious determinations. If there's religious disputes, government needs to be neutral. Well, we're out of time. Our guest today has been Rob Boston, Director of Communications for Americans United for Separation of Church and State. We've been talking about just how partisan a political issue religious liberty has become, especially in light of our current uh, presidential uh, political campaigns. Rob. Thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. My pleasure. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We offer help to those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. And you can listen to Freedom's Ring on iTunes or SoundCloud. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. Freedom's Ring.